Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Here at the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their passion. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. This is your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm excited to bring to you podcast number seven, uh, it's actually a mentor forum that we had uh, with Mart Green. Now, if you're not familiar with Mart Green, uh, he actually started uh, Hobby Lobby in his living room with his family with only $600. Now, Hobby Lobby is a chain of over 600 arts and craft stores. He's the chief strategy officer for the Green family business and is actively involved in Hobby Lobby, where he serves as the board chair. In 1981, Mart established Mardell, a chain of Christian and educational supply stores and Mardell has 35 stores in seven states. He founded and was producer and CEO for Every Tribe Entertainment, a feature film production company. He's been named one of the top 50 people who have most impacted and shaped Christian retailing in the last half century and was awarded the Jim Carlson Christian Bookstore of the Year Award by the Christian Book Association for setting standards of excellence in the industry. Having an opportunity to sit down with Mark, we actually talked to him for about uh, an hour and a half and it was a chance for different guys in our group to first hear from him and that's what this uh, this first podcast is going to be this first part of the podcast where it's just him talking to us and kind of explaining uh, what was on his heart at the time and then we're going to have a, a follow-up podcast to this which is actually our question and answer time where different guys in our group were able to ask him questions about uh, thoughts on business thoughts on uh, everything that Hobby Lobby has gone through in the last couple of years in, in regards to uh, the Health Care Act and those kinds of things. So it was a nice, intimate setting. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to kind of open up some of that to you guys on the podcast and really allow you to kind of join in to one of the benefits that we have uh, with the Young Businessmen of Tulsa members. And so I'm excited to bring this to you. Let's go ahead and join Mart and our member forum. Yeah, I thought I'd start with the story. Uh, Marie was a lady. She was actually a traveling evangelist, um, and she actually preached. So she got her little tent back in the 1920s and 1930s, and she went from city to city, and she preached in this tent revival. And then one day, uh, Walter walked in to this tent revival, and Walter was being raised to be a dancer. That was his profession, what he was going to be, but he came from a non-Christian home. Heard Marie preach and walked that aisle. Had no intention, but at the end, walked the aisle and became saved. But Walter not only was in fat, in, in, excited about Christ, he got excited about the preacher. And so Walter started courting the preacher, uh, Marie, and wound up marrying her. And so uh, Walter and Marie became co-pastors of little bitty churches, little Pentecostal churches, never more than 100. Uh, Marie got pregnant seven times in seven years. Oh, wow. Lost one in childbirth, had six children that were born in the early 30s, early 40s. And... Um, and so they went, and uh, but again, they never had much financially, uh, didn't have much because their churches were small, and, but 
Uh, and uh, she really wanted, Walter and Marie really wanted preachers. So they prayed for six preachers. And they got five. Five of those became preachers or married preachers. Some of the young ladies actually became evangelists just like their mother did. Uh, but there was one, there was a non-preaching boy. And the non-preaching boy um, didn't do that well in school. Uh, you know, some people are smart, but they don't do well in school. I mean, mm -hmm. some people sit, okay, <laughs> we have the, all right, all right. And so, but that's what he was. And so, and he was poor, so he didn't have shoes to go to school in. So you have those things that your personality, all those things that come with that, living in poverty and stuff. Uh, but there's a program called Distributive Education. Uh, where you actually could go and you got to work at the five and dime store and you got paid to go to school. So he took this class called distributed education, which was a double benefit. One, you didn't have to go to school, and two, you got paid. And so uh, he went and worked at a little five and dime store at that time. There was a young lady there who was 17 who was working at the soda fountain. He was 19, he got enamored by her, uh, and he married her at the age of 17 and 19. So the non-preaching boy decided to uh, do the retail business. Um, and that Marie is actually my grandmother. Uh, Walter is my grandfather. Uh, the non-preaching boy, of course, is my father, David. And so, um, again, when I talk about my dad not being smart at school, he's a smart man. I don't think anybody would argue with the success that dad took. And as, as Matt shared in the production, in, I mean, introduction, in 1970, my dad was working for a company called TGNY. How many of you remember TGNY? Okay, good. I mean, it's fewer and fewer people. <laughs> the younger they get, the harder it is. You know, like, what's that? You know. So it was the Walmart of the day, um, and it was based in Oklahoma City. Now, my dad uh, was from Lawton. I was born down in Lawton, Oklahoma, uh, and he was the youngest manager ever for TGMY. He was the youngest supervisor ever for TGMY, and they moved him to Oklahoma City. So that's why I live 100 miles down the street from you all in Oklahoma City, because TGMY moved our family there. And my dad was running the second largest TGMY, and only it got to the point they only got two days a month off. He worked six days, seven days, six days, seven days. Um, and um, it was always interesting because grandmother would never really was impressed. You know, my dad would say, hey, I'm the youngest manager ever. He said, but only what's done for Christ will last, you know, because he wanted six preachers, right? And stuff, and a young supervisor, but only what's done for Christ will last. So she kind of understood that and had that pressure. My dad did, the missionary was here, pastor was here, and the marketplace was just kind of down here. It felt second class. Some of you guys have felt those feelings. Hopefully our culture's changed somewhat, and we've embraced the marketplace ministries, as Matt is, and, and all that kind of stuff here. But for my dad, it was kind of a, almost something he wore around his neck, you know. And when you first start, you're not successful at it, but he wasn't a preacher, and he would have been a terrible preacher. <laughs> I promise you, my dad's counseling session is real simple. Get saved and get over it, you know, and that's it. We're done. You know, move on, you know. So the empathy and all those gifts of a pastor probably weren't there, so uh, good thing he did it. So... In 1970, him and a partner decided to borrow $600, which I looked it up today would be $3,200 in the equivalents today. So if you had $3,200, um, and what he did is he went out and bought a chopper to chop wood. So this is a, a machine that would cut 45 degree angles so that you can make these little mini frames, you know, little four by five frames like here. So you've got to cut this angle right here, this 45 degree angle on a piece of wood. It's nine foot sticks usually. And so he bought this chopper for 450 bucks, and then he went and bought $150 worth of wood to cut little mini frames. Okay, that was in 1970. He had a partner named Pico. Our last name is Green. So they named the company Greco. And so uh, we just started zooming little frames. Now my dad's working 60, 70 hours a, day, a week. Pico is wearing 60, 70 hours a week. So who's going to run this thing, right? My mom ran this thing, all right? Because there was, they were down. Yeah, so that's why we honor my mom, the ladies. And we got a few ladies here. So I wasn't sure if we was going to have ladies or not. So, uh, but... Um, so we honor my mom because she did that. Now, 
she did, we actually, um, me and my brother actually glued the frames. I was nine in 1970, my brother was seven, and so we got seven cents a piece to glue frames. So that's how I bought my baseball cards, was by gluing frames. And I was sure, gonna, sure was gonna glue more than he was at seven years old. So I always made sure I glued more than he did. And uh, so my mom ran the business, she didn't get paid. Me and my brother were nine and seven, we were getting seven cents a paid. And then uh, the guy who actually cut the frames, Okay, because this was, today things are automated. You used to, you took your foot up about a foot and a half, took this lever and pulled it down with enough force that it would cut the way, that wood, right? That guy was blind, and so he couldn't see, and so he had braille, and so we had to take all the OSHA equipment off, you know? So my dad says he started this business on slave labor, child labor, and ocean infractions. So, because uh, mom didn't get paid. So, uh, so anyway, but that's the way you start businesses. Some of you have those same stories if I ask you, you went around the room. You start, and you strap it up, and you do it, and nobody knows later all those sacrifices that you made to start a business, but that was true of almost any business that you have. And so, uh, so in 1972, again, my dad really wasn't a manufacturer. He really wanted to be retail. That was his lifeblood. He just couldn't afford it. So then he rented a, a little shop for 300 square feet. We're probably in 300 square feet or so here. Um, so, and if you remember in the early 70s, lots of people were doing macrame, right? Remember the macrame? We used to put our little deals and all that kind of stuff. And so it was a little macrame shop. And then we were selling the frames separately, and then we found a little house. And so we rented this house, and we had the macrame up front, and then the blind guy was still cutting the frames. He was in the back, chop, chop, pop in the back, back in the back, making all the loud noise, and you're out front shopping. But that's the way you start. And so in 1972, we opened our first Hobby Lobby. Um, and then in 1975, now my mom has run the business for five years. Uh, my dad's first partner, and some of you have this same deal, my dad's first partner was a bust. It did not work. Uh, they were partners for less than a year. Pico wanted to spend the money. My dad wanted to reinvest the money. You know, it wasn't time to take profits out when you only start with 600 bucks, you know? Uh -huh. And so Pico's vision was separate, and so they had to part ways, and they did. Um, so then my dad brought another partner in uh, that had worked with him at TGNY, and they were kind of the opposites. You know, the odd couple, if you guys have seen the odd couple, this was the odd couple, all right? John's hair was down to here, the middle of his back, and his beard was down to here, so he was a hippie. Um, and so they actually called them the Holy Roller and the Hippie because we were raised Pentecostal, and so that's what their, their tagline was. But they were fantastic partners. They were so opposite. They made great partners, and maybe that's been your, your experience along the way. And so, uh, so my mom and John, Seward was his name, ran the business for the first three years in 72 to 75. And then in 75, my dad was making 32000 a year. 75, which was a very nice salary for that time, uh, but decided to make a go of it himself to see if he could make Hobby Lobby go you know past that one store we just had one store we kept we went from 300 to a house to another store now he was ready to do multiple stores my mom wanted it this size my dad wanted it that size so he set a goal he wanted to open 30 stores doing a million dollars you know that was his big big goal in 1975 which was a big big goal in 1975 so he quit his job making 32,000 to make 16,000 again many of you you understand what this means if you start a business many of you have businesses you understand the sacrifices that you made he could have stayed there at 32,000 but decided he wanted to do this uh, and part of that was because he was working Sundays um, you know and he we then they opened it once he was able to go to church on Sundays and stuff but he just felt like it should be a day of rest and all those kind of stuff so that's what kind of gave that impetus to why get out when you had a, a good job TGNY was a very successful company um, in its day and, and was even when my dad left they were very successful in the early 70s and so um, so anyway, and then as he said in 1981, I was 19, I was at school, I love learning, or my dad doesn't like sitting down, reading books, doing that kind of stuff. I mean, he's just a street smart guy. I love learning. I was at college, my dad talked about Christian bookstores, and I thought, well, I knew Hobby Lobby was a, always a ministry, 
to us. People say it's not a ministry. It's kind of offensive to us because, no, this is our ministry. This is the way we minister. Uh, and it was through generosity that my dad <clears throat> got over his uh, filling second class, and I'll share a little bit more about that. But anyway, so 1981, came home, started Mardale, and uh, obviously our family's in the retail business. That's what we do and do well. And so, again, so then you just take 1975, open a store, another store, another store, another store, and you can fast forward to 2016. We have a little over 700 stores. We'll do about a four billion. We'll do a little over four billion dollars this this four year. Billion? A billion, yeah. Is this Mardell? No, no. I'm sorry, Hobby Lobby. No, no, okay. Hobby Lobby. No, no, no. Mardell's much smaller. No, Hobby Lobby's the. I'm sorry. So, so they do about 700 stores. So, uh, but anyway, that's how it all got started. After you get going, it's just doing more of the same and all that kind of stuff. There's lots of principles and stuff like that. So, but I shared about my grandmother. She had a couple of gifts. One was preaching. She had a preaching gift. So much so that she attracted her own husband through her preaching. Uh, but another gift that she had was generosity. And um, we all understand the widow's might. She was definitely a widow's might giver. Nobody ever recognized my grandmother. All right, the size of gifts she gave, all that never drew by his attention, and nobody ever saw her. Um, but she did a couple of things that were very impactful. Uh, once she sold little doilies, and I bring doilies with me now because the younger the group gets, the less they understand what a doily is. You know? <laughs> I shared about doilies when my, my grandmother doing doilies, and the guy came up and asked me about, now your grandmother, she did those donuts, and I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and then I found out, oh, he thought I said donut instead of doily, you know, so uh, you guys know what a doily is. So she would sell little doilies, and my grandfather, Walter, would say, now, Marie, why are you selling those doilies? She says, well, I want a missions offering. He says, I'm giving in the missions offering for us. She says, no, I want my own missions offering. And my dad says, if nobody bought her doily, she bought her own doily just so she would have a missions offering. And so she's passionate about that. My grandmother, if you gave her a gift, and again, now she doesn't have money to send her kids to school with shoes in, but if you gave her a gift, it became a tithing opportunity for her because that was an increase. So if you gave my mother a gift, she figured out how much it was worth and she paid tithes on it. So she didn't try to figure out was it pre-tax or post-tax, <laughs> all those things that we kind of grapple with today. She was kind of a personal increase kind of a, a gal and paid tithes on all of those kind of things. And so... But you understand that that impacted my father. He saw that, and that's, the, that's what he was inbred with. And so start talking, what happens if my dad dies? You know, all the estate planning. You guys understand issues. What happens? And, you know, you want to take care of your family. You want to do all that kind of things. At that time, his partner really uh, wanted to get painting. Our John was a very artistic person. He wanted to go out and do painting, go to Europe, do all that kind of stuff. So we bought John out, not because it was a, like the first partner we bought out because of conflict. This was just a natural place to go for John and his daughters. They had no interest in the business for the future, and so estate planning. And so, uh, but then we started saying about that, well, what do we do with that? Well, you got generation skipping, you can buy insurance, you can do all this kind of stuff. And we started kind of getting down to the question of, we really see Hobby Lobby as the trees. Okay, we're growing these trees, and we've got 700 trees, if you want to say every story is a tree. And we're growing these trees, and we've always had the philosophy that they're not ours. But yet, when you die, what do you do? How do you handle all that kind of stuff? And so we really had to get back to the question of who, who, who is the owner, and if God owns it, what's something creative that we could do? So we've all signed Gen 1, my parents, Gen 2, Gen 3, my kids, Gen 4 is too young. We're just now starting Gen 4, they're 6 and under. Uh, but we've all signed that if Hobby Lobby ever sells, um, that 90% of that will be given away. So that we, our kids know there's no tree. There are no, there's no tree coming, there's no wealth coming to you. Now those trees produce fruit. And if you're the janitor, you get so much fruit for that. If you're the president, you get so much fruit. So there's fruit, there's opportunity. So our, our philosophy is how you pass down opportunity and not pass down wealth. 
Okay, so that's entitlement, all those issues that you have to grapple with that you guys understand. So we know if Hobby Lobby sells tomorrow, that 90% of that's going to give to the ministry. The other 10% set aside for orphans and widows in our family. We don't feel like the government should have to take care of all. For some reason, me, my dad, my brother, all of us guys just got killed all at once. You know, I don't feel like the government should have to step in and take care of our family. So we've set aside so they can't just come get it. They'd have to apply for it and all that kind of stuff. So that's one way that we've um, done for steward, uh, given for stewardship. Another principle that we have, uh, if I, as I look back, is uh, what I call the GH&I principle. At school, you, the, you learn the A, Bs, and Cs. Um, in real life, sometimes you learn some lessons. And so for me, one that I've really been grappling with over the last few months and a couple of years, and then thought back to my family, was what I call the GH&I. And there's a verse in the Bible that is in uh, 1 John 2 and 16. It says, For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So as I read that, I really, if you think about it, Satan only has three tricks. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Satan created nothing, right? He gets credit for nothing. Nothing that has ever been created, he gets credit for. Now, he's corrupted creation, okay, but he created nothing. So in my mind, he's got three tricks. Because it says everything in the world, okay, Satan is the world. This is his playground. There's three things he's got. So I had to start thinking about that. Okay, lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes, um, I got it down to a, a, a single word. I think make things simple. It's possessions. Right, that's more stuff. I, I need to have more stuff. And we live in America. This is very natural for us to want more possessions and more things and all that. And we actually think things will make us happy. Advertisement tells us things will make us happy. Okay, but uh, so I had to think, okay, if possessions is neutral. I believe possessions are neutral. I believe possessions are God's. God gave us creation. He gave us things. He gave us minds that created cars. He gave us those things. So I don't think possessions are wrong. Now, sometimes we've been theologically, we've talked about, well, having stuff is wrong. I don't think possessions are wrong. I think the lust for the possession. So how do you, what's the antidote for that? What's the opposite side of that? What would God want us to be with that? And that's the G, that's generous. I think people who are generous are able to take that, that Satan is trying to trick us with, which is the lust of the possessions, the lust of the eyes. And so that's how you take possessions and say, God, these are your possessions. How do I steward them? How do you want me to use them? They're yours. You can have them. Now, I, we buy possessions. I have nice stuff. I have a nice car. I have a nice home. I have those things. But I also want to give, and I don't want to be caught up in the lust of the eyes. The pride of life, the neutral of that is position and power. There's nothing wrong with positions. There are, there are CEOs of, of companies. You've, we've heard several of those in here. There's people who start today. A new job, they're just starting. Okay, there's all kinds of positions. There's power. There's nothing wrong with power. Both of those are very positive things and be neutral. Uh, but Satan can take those and get pride of life, and we've all seen that. We live in a culture where pride of life takes us over. It causes certain things, certain things that just take over our personality to who we are. So what, what would be the opposite of that? And to me, the antidote to that and what God wants us to do with the position of power is do it with humility. Okay, so that would be the H. You've got generosity, you've got humility, that's servant leadership, that's what you guys are all trying to do. How do we come together to serve, to do for others, if you pay it forward, all these kind of things that you're doing, you're obviously showing those capabilities and what that's all about. And then the lust of the flesh, that would be our passions. God gave us passions our sexual passions, our passions for food, all the passions we have. God gave us those things. Those are, those are pleasures and passions that God gave us. They're neutral, okay? They can be used negatively, and that's what Satan does. He puts the lust of the flesh, and we've seen. We, we understand all this Christ, that Satan does with his, but what is the, 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 the positive side? What does God want us to do? I think it's integrity. How do we live a life of integrity? So generosity, humility, integrity. To me, if you have those three things, you've beat Satan at his three best tricks. And, uh, and integrity is making the right decision in the hard time when nobody's looking. Okay, what do you do when nobody's looking? 
that's true integrity. And we all want to perform for each other, we want to look good for each other, all that stuff. That's fine and we're wonderful when you do that. But when it's dark and you're alone and you're by yourself, that's integrity. And so how do we live a life? And I believe God looks for people who are generous, humble, and integrity. And so that's a principle, one of the second principle that we do. So uh, there's a great verse in the message version. The message version is kind of a refreshed version for me that uh, Eugene Peterson wrote. And so uh, in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, don't let the wise brag of their wisdom. Don't let the heroes brag of their exploits. Don't let the rich brag of their riches. So he's knocked out everything, right? Don't brag about you, that you're rich. Don't brag that you're smart. Don't do all the, what you've done. All the stuff that we like doing, right? Telling people about it. Don't brag about that. If you brag, brag of this and this only. So I'm thinking, okay, I can't do any of these bragging, but now he's going to tell me what I can brag about. What can I brag about? That you understand and know me. That is what we can brag about. And so intimacy, what I call intimacy with God. So about five years ago, maybe a little more than that, six or seven years ago. You know, we have a mission statement for our company, we have a vision statement, we have core values for our company, but we don't have one for our family. And now Gen 1 and Gen 2, we were there. We were there when the sacrifice was made. My, fam- my kids did not see sacrifice, right? It wasn't crawl, walk, run. By the time they saw it, it's a jumbo jet going 700 miles an hour, all right? So they didn't see all that, they didn't understand all that. But how do you help your kids see that and do that? So we thought, you know, maybe we ought to have a mission statement, vision statement, core values, and so we, we actually got a facilitator because as a family, it sometimes helps to have a third party to get you all together and all that stuff. So I have my mom, my dad, I have a brother, sister, their spouse, there was eight of us. We'd come around a table in a hotel. We'd go spend a weekend together. We'd talk and then we'd go away and then we'd come back and do it again about six months later. And finally, we got this document that we have. So it's got all of our core values, about 18, 20 of those core values. Because you want to get your mission and vision statement, you want to be, we want it to be easy to remember and something that really said who we were without having to say that Jesus and you know, all, Holy Spirit, all the stuff that was part of this. And so, uh, so we got our mission statement down, which is what we quote the most, and you'll hear us talk about it. And what's the mission of the Green family? And the Green family mission is six words, to love God intimately, what I just talked about, and live extravagant generosity. And so we define generosity as time, talent, treasure, all that stuff. We have kids that are going in the mission field. we got all that kind of stuff. They can still be extravagantly generous. As a matter of fact, I carry a coin in my pocket that has that. I've given it to all the, all the family members, to love God intimately and live extravagant generosity. Just an easy reminder of what, what are we passionate about? What do we want to be known for? You know, but I think this verse is why I love this verse, is brag of this, that you know God and you know him well. And I've seen it, like I said, on both ends of the spectrum. I've seen a grandmother who did it, who has on the 1% on income, on the low side, and I've seen it on the 1% on the high side, uh, that you could do this and live this out. And so... Um, I think grandma got her free preacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did, and I think she's pretty proud, you know. And I, yeah, and it was my, you know, I thank you for saying that because it was my dad, my grandmother had died already, and again, my, she loved her son and all that stuff, so I don't want to sound that way, but there's still that, that pressure there. Uh, he was in Tennessee, we were at a church meeting, and God convicted my dad to give $30,000. Now, it's one of those deals that you ain't got 30000 so you know it wasn't your idea, right? Right? But not my idea. So he goes to the guy and says, Look, I'm going to send you four checks for 7500 August, September, October, November. I don't have it, but if I get it, it's yours. So, but I'll call you, August, September, October, November. But on that plane trip back, before God provided, my dad says, I'm not second class. God created me to be a business guy. And so, where you hear people say, I'm anointed, you've heard anointing with missionary, you've heard anointing with pastor, my dad will tell you he's anointed to be a merchant, because that's what he is. He's a merchant. You're anointed in whatever your calling are. You guys are all from different 
uh, backfield backgrounds and different parts of, of, of life and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, she got a preacher in a different way, and uh, somebody's got to fund those preachers, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> one of the things I hear Matt talk about, he talks about the uh, spirit, mind, body, the wholeness of us, you know, and uh, and that's what I want to be about too. And as I got involved with ORU over the last seven or eight years, uh, there was something I didn't know about ORU when I came. I didn't know much about ORU, to be honest, when I came. I knew Oral was a TV preacher. I didn't know much about the university. Uh, but they got this deal called the Quest for Wholeness, which I really have loved and really have adopted what they talk about. Actually, students who go to ORU are assessed in five areas. You can get 4.0 in five areas. Are you spiritually alive? Are you intellectually alert? We are a university. Physically disciplined? Come on, you got to exercise. we got to take care of our bodies. Uh, socially adept? you got to be able to get along with other people. And professionally competent, whatever you go in, be good at it and stuff. And so that's what we call the quest for wholeness. There's a great verse in Luke 2 and 52. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Okay, that's his intellect and his body. Jesus did the same thing. He grew in his wisdom and his stature. And uh, in favor with God and all people. So favor with God would be spiritual and with people would be a social life. So in that one verse, those few parts, God was on a quest for wholeness. Jesus even was on a quest for wholeness. And he was God. He was man. That theologically gets kind of confusing sometimes because he knew everything. Did he know, you know, what, how that worked? But he was still, on a, even as a human being, he came as on a quest for wholeness, for more wisdom, for statue with man and, and with others. And so, uh, so anyway, that's my challenge for you and what I appreciate about how do we on a quest for wholeness? Yes, we have to be spiritually alive. But you know what? If you're professionally competent and you're very successful, You've got a platform. Many of you have a platform in here. Many of you spoke just like I'm speaking today. Because you were successful, people listen to you. So you have voice. You have a place because you're professionally competent. You've got to be socially adept. You want to be physically disciplined. And so those are areas that we can do that. So and there's a great verse that if, uh, if I had a prayer for you, this is actually kind of a prayer verse, if I had a prayer for you, because I think we're going to leave some time for question and answer, and hopefully I've gone not too long here. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 would be my prayer for you. And it says, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. So spirit, mind, and body, may God bless each of you on your quest for wholeness. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.